Hello, and welcome to another episode of In the Area Podcast, your weekly source for wisdom nuggets. Today, we sit down with Dante Stewart, a co-founder of Underscore Av. This is a creative platform connecting creatives to opportunities. Currently, they operate out of the tri-state New York area. I'm not even sure what tri-state means, but that is where they operate currently. They're building out a digital platform to further their mission. And I really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I know you will learn a lot. Please stay tuned. You are a worm. That is what we are at In The Area Podcast. We are worms digging for nuggets of wisdom. So grab those pickaxes and collect those nugs. So you're part of the founding team of Underscore Av, a yeah. creative platform that connects creatives to... Paid opportunities, yeah. So Or booking, publishing, show, showcasing, and other funding opportunities. So just giving connecting talent to the, to the jobs, right? Like there's no scarcity of creative talent out there. There's also no scarcity of creative opportunities, right? Everyone's looking to be entertained. Everyone's looking to, get the, to, to put together a project. It's just largely, there's no centralized infrastructure that allows us to say, hey, I'm looking for a creative to secure this job opportunity, right? So, and, and we're currently recording this podcast in Brooklyn, but is this is this localized to New York? And, and or is I mean, it- yeah, we were based in New York. We founded it. We actually founded it in 2017, so I was just leaving my freshman year of college. I um, came back to New York. Um, CEO Eddie Eddie Hayes, shout out Eddie. <laughs> he was like, um, he called me, Josh, and another uh, co-founder who ended up leaving us, Julian, um, to talk about putting together our networks because we needed too many talented people that were giving up their creative passions and like their skill set for a more quote unquote reliable nine to five experience, right? Or like a corporate job. And we were just like, that's so ridiculous that people are literally giving up what they love just to make ends meet, right? Like you shouldn't have to be a starving artist in order to survive and do what you love to do, right? even though that's been the norm, we were like, I think it's about time, especially with this technology age that we're entering into. We start to flip the script and develop a new sense of normalcy where the starving artist is no longer a thing. And underscore is the uh, result of that. Wow. And what do you think is the power of creativity? Why is that Why is that an important thing for people to focus on and something you want to enable people to spend their life on? I mean, there's creativity in literally everything we do. And so- again, goes back to that essence of everybody wants to be entertained, right? We all look, we're social beings. So in social gatherings and social settings, you need things to drive you, to stimulate you and make you feel like, you know, you can do things and create things that haven't been done before, right? Uh, Develop new experiences. And so that's personally why I think everybody should focus on the creative and everybody does focus on the creative. It's just that they try to take percentages out of that creative's work or remove the creative from their work once they've established it, which sucks, especially when you think about the old trope of, you know, most artists don't really make, make it famous until they're dead, right? Mm. Like, no, they got to make it famous while they're still alive. And then the work can even appreciate some more after they're dead, right? Because now that that work is finite, that experience is no longer there. What's left is what's left. Wow. Would you describe yourself as a creative person? Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, the whole founding team is creative, are creatives in our own right. You know, um, Eddie is Hollywood personality who also likes to, you know, rap and is a hip hop enthusiast. 
Joshua Brooks is a really talented musician. You know, he plays the drums at church and stuff like that. Makes really dope beats. I've been trying to egg them on to like drop a tape, but you know, they're bait, so it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, they're just, you know, they're just talking, talking, talking Mm -hmm. in a good way. You know, they want to focus on, you know, underscore making other things work before they can pursue their passions. Um, And then Julian is also creative as well. Um, He's, you know, an artist now, so. Um, me personally, I dance, step. I mean, you know, I dance, step, act, write poetry and stuff like that. So I'm definitely more of a performing artist in that sense. So wow, yeah. And then, had you when you were going through college, did you envision yourself starting your own business? Where did that come from? Did I envision myself starting my own business? I mean, no. I've always been, I've always been someone who is trying to find ways to occupy time and do something, right? Um, And so I didn't envision really starting a business, but I definitely knew coming out of college that I would have entrepreneurship aspirations, right? Like I I have notes in my phone of just business ideas that when I make a certain amount of money, these are the things that I'm gonna start putting it towards. And it actually wasn't until I went to DePaul that I had this mindset in my freshman year where I was like, if these are gonna be the people that are gonna leave to go into the workforce with me, I would much rather work with them because you know these are people that I know that I've experienced, and we're all going to be the new sort of adults, so to speak, right? This is eighteen-year-old Dante just fantasizing about life post undergrad, and um, so yeah, I just I knew I wanted to work with the people that I grew up with and grew up around, and just build a community that way. So yeah, damn. And you also have another job. We were talking about it a little bit before the podcast. You're helping teach financial literacy. Yeah. To kids, is it kids? Yeah, teaching. So I work at World of Money, which again. Circling back, like that's what actually got me started in speaking and learning about financial literacy. I went to World of Money when I was 12 years what old. What is World of Money? It's a financial literacy institution that teaches kids now ages seven, well, yeah, seven to like 18 about stocks, bonds, money, debt, college loans, everything, you know? Um, and they bring a series of presenters and Wall Street professionals to speak about each of these sort of sectors of finance that's really important for financial freedom. Um, so I started going there in 2010, um, when it was only open for like 13 to 18 year olds, but I was 12. I was like, I, it's no fair. My cousin gets to go. I'm about to be 13, you know, in a couple months, just let me slide. Right. Um, Whoa. yeah. So the CEO saw that, let me go. And then I came back another year and I started working there for two years, took a break, took some time away from it, um, to do my own thing and just sort of find myself as, uh, a college, a, a college student to be. Um, and then, yeah, I just graduated college, came back, and then uh, she reached her hand back out to me. Because I've always stayed on the team as sort of like a youth board member and just helping with events and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but now I'm teaching, you know, the rising locals, which are ages 10 to 12 years old, um, just about financial literacy. And you were 12 years old when you when you when went I first started. And you wanted to go. Yeah, I wanted to go. I mean, I it was, so it wasn't like... It, in hindsight, this is probably recency bias because I'm recognizing the positive impact that it's had on my life. But mm. definitely at first I was hesitant because I was just like, I want to go up to the beach and stuff like that, right? But this, ha- this cause it's like a summer program. And so, but my stepmom was like, no, this will be really good for you. Your cousin's going. So once she said my cousin's going, then I was like, oh, okay. I, it, <laughs> this is something I can entertain. This, yeah, this is something I can get into, right? <laughs> um, but then, yeah, then we, they, they made us do like an essay to like even before we even came to, to, to the thing. And World of Money is very business oriented. So nine to five, we're in these like classrooms learning about financial literacy. Um, and like every hour on the hour, we're learning a new subject. So, you know, at nine to 10, we're doing like 
pitch competitions. 10 to 11, we're learning about uh, stocks and bonds. Then we're learning about the history of money. Then we have a little lunch break. And then these are just like, that's like pretty much how the curriculum would go. Wow. Um, but the session would only last one week. So it was a very intense week of just like learning all these things. And then we had like a nice little graduation ceremony. Um, and the, session, the institution ran for like three weeks. So Would you notice that when you go back to school during the school year, how maybe most people around you weren't? They knew nothing about what I was talking about. Like financial literacy was, it's not talked about in schools at all, you know? Um, so def, that, that's also what made me want to go back because I, the first time I went, I wanted to learn for myself. The second time I came back, I wanted to retain that information just so that I could like provide that kind of education to people who looked like me as well. Um, and that's definitely my ethos, like my purpose. I think uh, we talked about purpose before the podcast, right? Like my purpose, I think, is to provide financial opportunity um, to people who look like me and in ways that it hasn't been done before. So yeah, that's Damn. that's definitely why I went back. That's definitely why I did go back and why I am back. Um, just because you got to pave the way, right? That's um, a powerful feeling though. Would you describe it as a calling? Oh yeah, 100%. Because I feel like a lot of people, they struggle with this feeling of what is my calling? What am I doing? Yeah. Do you feel like you, is it a blessing that you know yours? Did you, were you seeking it? Was it hard work to find it? How did you find your calling? It's hard. It's definitely hard work. Um, definitely a lot of breakdowns, a lot of unpacking to do um, just on my end. Um, and, you know, you think you figure out your calling at one point. Like I definitely thought I was just going to make it really wealthy and just live the rest of my days on an island somewhere and just, leave it. And then I was just like, no, like that's not, that's not going to change anything for this, for this environment that I'm in or the people that I would eventually leave behind. And so um, that's sort of where that calling sort of birthed itself. And it definitely took form and shape going into my freshman year of college. My freshman year of college was a very transformative experience for me. Um, I think just being away from New York and just being in an environment that's totally different. I mean, Indiana, Greencastle, Indiana is very different from, you know, Brooklyn, New York. That is a fact. And so the sort of slower pace and the ability to just be by myself with no real connection to anyone back home outside of my posse um, definitely shows who I was, showed who I was as a person. Do you think it was like important that it was a university or do you think you could have replaced that experience with like another situation where you were just away from home, but you were in a new context? Hmm. I think I would have made it, it probably would have gone a little differently, but I definitely would have found my way back to where I am right now in a little, in the same sense, you know? I think any situation or any place that you're in, you know, you'll find a way to make the best of it and your natural tendencies will always come out in a way that will either benefit you if the, if the environment is conducive to that or harm you if it's, you know, not a good fit you feel, hmm. you know, so. So in teaching financial literacy, do you also recommend college and university or do you not think that's like an important stone or stepping stone for people to do? Uh, yeah, it's all about, it's all about like where you are, you know, there are some people who didn't go to college that I know who are good friends of mine that are crushing it right now um, with what they're doing either because they had jobs lined up beforehand and they had a really good skill set either in computer science um, or other fields. And so now they're making bank, right? But then there are also people who just didn't know what they wanted to do. Um, and they're still trying to figure it, out, figure it out. I've also got some friends who want to be doctors, right? So you can't not go to school if you're trying to be a cardiovascular specialist. Like that's, there's just, there's that's some learning it. you've got to do for that, right? Um, so it's definitely, 
I see both sides of the coin, right? I'm, I'm definitely not going to say you have to go to college, but I do believe you have to put yourself in an environment that you can learn with peers around your age or be in a setting where you can connect and interact with people in your age between the ages of 18 to like 22, because that's definitely like a second puberty that Ooh, it's 21 to 22 18 to like 22 oh, yeah 22. like that that <laughs> there's, puberty. there's definitely like coin a, that term on this podcast come on like you know like you, there's definitely you look at you've looked at your freshman photos and then you see your senior year it's photos it's true <laughs> just like things, have, things have changed <laughs> <laughs> the wear and tear of life just you know sort of hits you at like that point and i definitely feel i definitely feel like those are so transformative years that as a as a young person and a young adult it's important to just see other people's opinions that are different from your own or learn and it collaborate again, collaborate. Collaborate, and in, we keep coming back to that. In an environment that's, um, you know, with people who are of the similar age and not mind, but, you know, circumstance. So, wow. Yeah. What do you think some of the biggest challenges you've overcome in your life have been? Because I believe that challenges set you up for future success or, or you know, past failures set you up for future success. So can you think of any failures that you've experienced in your life that set you up for later success? Um, yeah, I think there are a few failures that I have that just looking back on it. Well, all right. I won't, I won't call this one a failure because it definitely wasn't a failure. It was just a challenge that I had, a physical challenge. Um, I had like the stomach disease that was destroying me internally, like gave me ulcers and everything like that. Um, and I was doing really bad in school, my sophomore year of high school. And nobody, like nobody around me knew what was wrong because I would seem fine. And then all of a sudden I would just like either A, fall asleep, pass out, or B, like just run to the bathroom and start like throwing up and going crazy. Um, and so like that happened for like the whole first half of the school year. And you didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know what was wrong. I went to like a bunch of different doctors. They were all like, you know, maybe it's dietary because I was you know, smashing these grilled cheeses <laughs> like every day. So they're like, yeah, you got to lay off gonna, the dairy. Yeah, addiction grilled cheese. <laughs> you got to lay off the dairy, bro. And so I, I laid off the dairy and then, you know, things were still happening and then they thought it was just something else. And so uh, it got really bad to the point where like, I would just start passing out. Like I fell down the stairs going to school one day and my parents like, yeah, you just got to gotta stay home. Um, and then I called my mom and I was like, yo mom, you actually got to pick me up and take me to the hospital because I don't think I'm going to make it past today. Like mentally, I just knew it. I just, I was like, if this happens like for another week or so, like, I don't think I'm going to be on this earth anymore. Whoa. And so she called, she pulls up, we get to the, we get to the doctor in the emergency room and tests go again. They're, I'm feeling fine. And then he's like, yeah, you're good. And I was like, okay, no, this can't happen. So I just, some, I think my body knew that this would have been it. So I just started throwing up blood in front of him. <laughs> and he was body's like, all right, yeah. we gotta fucking tell him and, right and so, and so he was just like, oh, that's not good. Check, <laughs> check not him good. in. They uh, end up finding out that like I had this virus that was in my stomach that I contracted, I guess, when I went to China for a little bit. And again, so that was another crazy situation. And um, it like, dropped my red blood cell count to like half of what it, what it should have been to be healthy or whatever. And he was like, yeah, no, if this kid was not treated immediately, like he wasn't seeing another 48 hours. So. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so oh like that was like gosh. a near death experience, I guess, in a sense where Whoa. it was just like, um, for me, just living that forced me to realize that I got to treat every moment. Like I couldn't, I won't see tomorrow. Well, you know? so it did, it had that transformation. It, it effect on definitely it. had that transfer. Like it was traumatic, you know, being a, 
14-year-old or 16-year-old kid dying no, dying, and nobody's believing you, right? Like even these, prof- and I hate hospitals to this day because of that. Like oh. I will not, I like, even if I'm hurt, I'll find a way to like medicate myself. Because you feel like they won't listen to they you? They won't or- listen to me, man. And they, they just don't. And that's natural for like the black community in general. They definitely don't believe in our pain as much as it is, as we perceive it to be. Um, and so just being in that space for six months where I, I feel like I'm dying internally, right? Or like my stomach is just giving up on me and my own body's giving up on me. And nobody's there to support you. It takes you to a very dark and like lonely place a couple of times. And so just being able to survive that experience and just see the worry that was on my mother's face and like, you know, my friends not being, because I didn't tell my friends about what was going on because I was like, my parents don't believe me. But the doctors don't believe me. My friends probably definitely won't believe me and they'll probably make fun of it in right. a situation. So um, coming back to that and just seeing the support that I received from friends and family really changed my perspective and just said, okay, if anything, I need to take everything with grace um, and just embrace life in the most fullest mindset. And so that's probably the biggest, most transformative challenge I've had to go through. Wow. Um, and, even, and even now, like I, anything that doesn't go my way, I just think, okay, it wasn't meant to be. And then adjust or pivot and find ways to um, adjust and do better. So like, for instance, I applied for a job uh, going into my senior year of college um, to see if I could get something right coming right out. And they didn't give me the job. And I was like, well, why not? Like I, I asked, okay, what, what, what did I do wrong? Because I, was, I gave them a new you know, proposal for how they could change their business strategy, this, that, and the third. Um, and they were just like, we could tell that your mind is somewhere else in terms of like focusing on my, cause I would tell them all the time about underscore and stuff like that. So it's like, even when I'm trying to like move against my purpose, it just harder to fight. It, it just becomes harder to fight, and it just pushes me back to this point where I'm just like, the only person now who's really holding me back is myself. Wow. You know? So, well, can you talk about some of the exciting things you're working on right now with Underscore F? Honestly, going into the, the summer of 2020, before the pandemic was really a thing, we definitely had an event circuit series that we were planning to do. Um, that was going to be all around like showcases, um, fashion shows, networking, networking mixers, and stuff like that. We've had to pivot now to just really circling around our three pillars of community, artistry, and opportunity. So um, in a way, we've been doing that with our Discord. We've been growing that. Um, we've been growing our Instagram, just dropping opportunities a, a couple of days at a time. And then also doing some clubhouse rooms. Um, now we're developing a, a nice little app um, that will basically automate a lot of the things that we're already doing right now with the Instagram and the Discord and stuff like that. So I'm very excited to drop that very soon. And so this will be an app that people can log on to and access opportunities in their area? Yeah, in their area. So it's uh, there's going to be a word for it, but we, we don't want to give too much oh, away wow. until, until we get to the... Uh, to the drop. So, so yeah. we, we need to follow underscore av. Follow underscore, follow underscore dot av on Instagram, um, underscore av on Twitter. We're, it's the same thing everywhere. And we also have our website, underscore av.com. So it's, we're everywhere. And this is for any creative. Any creative of any discipline of like any race, anything really. It's all about making a name for yourself and your entire self. That's our, that's our motto. So. What about, what if you're a business that, provides opportunities for creatives. Yeah, then come to us. And, you know, we also have a database of, you know, now 3,500 plus creatives tapped in across the tri-state area. You said if it's localized to just, you know, Brooklyn and stuff like that. No, we actually have a 
strong following both in New York. Our CEO went to Connecticut, so there's a really strong following out in Connecticut and Mass. Trying to get some following out in ATL, and you know, potentially move more west from here once we conquer the Northeast or underscore the Northeast. That's Whoa. that's the that's the word. Damn. Yeah. So you, you've had this business now for four years. Yeah. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned about starting your own business now in the time that you've been in? Consistency there? is key, man. Like pressure, especially once we started this business. Once you started do once we started doing it, we first we knew we were early because nobody's doing or was focusing on what we were focusing on in terms of the creative economy. That word wasn't even really a thing. Creatives wasn't really as talked about as it is now. And so, you know, we just had to really be consistent with that because nobody's telling you you gotta wake up and run your business today. You know, like businesses live fast and they die fast too, you know? So uh, we've learned that consistency is really key. Just being able to be the best storyteller in the room as well, you know, um, being able to put your vision in other people's heads and see themselves in that experience that you're trying to develop and build. Uh, that's just been sort of probably the greatest skill that I've developed just from being an entrepreneur. And also that collaboration and everything has to be written down. Like re recording your steps is so key because you think you're moving fast and then Things start to really, when things start to really pick up, if you're not organized, like those opportunities will get left behind. What do you, when you say write things down, like write what you're doing, like down? write what you're doing down, definitely record like your your thoughts, your journals. I this is me personally, I journal um, a lot about meetings and business deals and opportunities that we have, um, and just sort of look, give a mental map of where I think it would go. You know, planning is really key in any business, that's why every business demands a business plan because if you don't have a plan then you have nothing to execute. You're just working on words and potential luck in a sense, right? Mm. And so I think that being able to plan really well um, and develop this sort of storyboard of the experience that your company is trying to build or the brand that you're trying to build um, is really key in executing it in an efficient manner. Where do you get your business information from? How did Where did you learn these skills that it takes us to run a business? Started at World of Money. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely started at World of Money when we started doing like those pitch competitions and stuff like that. I was really, really into just learning what it takes to build a business. Um, I thought it was really cool developing a business plan, being able to project numbers and then meet those goals. I thought that was really powerful. Um, and then definitely once I got into like high school and college, I started to picking up a lot of clubs. I founded a couple of clubs. Um, and so just learning how to, bring that experience that nobody else has had before um, to life has just been something that I really take pleasure in, you know, and just providing those spaces and experiences. So, wow. Yeah. Do you have any mentors? I have a few mentors. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, Sabrina Lamb is the CEO of World of Money. So she's definitely one of the biggest mentors in my life right now um, in terms of just providing me direction, giving me really good access to professionals in the space that I'm trying to break into. Um, Another mentor I have is someone I recently met by the name of Chibu, um, but he's got like this pseudonym called the Future Modern, and he's really just all about the Black experience and curating that in a crypto space as well. Um, and he's also someone that like has really been helping me understand cryptocurrencies and like forwarding my tech side, the tech side of my persona a lot more um, and just sort of developing that and providing, feeding me with information. <clears throat> and I do get a lot of my information. I read a lot, like 
not books necessarily, but like research papers and articles and stuff like that. Um, I love, I just love reading history um, because I think history has a really good way of providing context for the present and giving conjectures to how the future might play out, right? Um, I definitely do think history not necessarily repeats, but rhymes in a lot of ways with how it plays out. Um, and so I'm always trying to catch those waves and see where the trend can come come in next before it really becomes mainstream. Because that's where the real growth is, right? Being able to catch the wave while it's still like a ripple, and then you'll get the maximum return once everybody else is on it. So wow, yeah. do you do you use Twitter or? Oh, I'm a huge Twitter guy. Is that Twitter, Reddit, like even 4chan? Like I'm on. I'm in the deep. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm honestly one of those dudes that's starting on one link and then he'll have 12 different browsers open <laughs> just from that one Twitter or tweet thread that comes from it because I'm clicking on different links while I'm reading. I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. I got to learn more about that. And I'm like, okay, wait, so I'm going to come back to this article after I learn a little bit more about this, so I could get better content. Like that's, that's the type of researcher I am is, you know, I start one, pro I start one per paper or research article. And from there, it'll give me resources to like six different other books. So I'm definitely always checking the the bibliography section of where all the sources are being wow. cited. Yeah. Before we leave underscore Ave, can you talk about how your team comes together and complements each other? Because yeah, oh man, it's so fun. I mean, we've grown up since middle school together. It's ten plus years of friendship, right? And so um, we also went to a predominantly white school, but I feel like that in a way made us stronger in identifying ourselves. Uh, we definitely found formed a sort of a, formed a sort of brotherhood or bond that I think will last a lifetime. Um, we're definitely are each other's biggest competitors. Like if nobody, if there's there's nothing anybody can say to me, whether it be about my flaws or insecurities or anything like that, that my friends haven't already you know expressed through me. Um, and I think that that complements us really well because we're not afraid to call each other out when we're either bullshitting or if we're just straight up being hard-headed and, and, and stubborn in ways. But that also helps us make the best idea always win. So for one instance, we'll go to like cutting each other's ass and like really just ragging on each other and then going right into like a really deep and philosoph philosophical like concept of like how we can forward our race or like our community or something like that. And then we're like, okay, let's just get back to work and just start writing stuff down. And then we'll go right back to talking about basketball or something like that. So we're... We, we like to bring a lot of our personal lives into like the work that we do. And I think that, that complements us really well because we have a no man in Josh who's always going to like think the most logical worst case scenario. They call me the dreamer because I'm optimistic. I'm like, I don't care if nobody's done this. I see it in my head. So it's going to get done. Like there's just because I, just because nobody else has done it before doesn't mean it can't get done. And I'm definitely of the, I'm definitely of the mindset of if, if not me, then who, right? Like, you got, somebody's got to be able to do it. And then Eddie's more of like the, the pragmatic one. So if we got the no spectrum, we've got the yes spectrum. And then we've got the dude that's in the middle, who's our CEO, just like observing both sides, letting us clash it out and wow. then saying, okay, this is what we'll actually do. And then I'm like, all right, this is wow, it Sounds like an amazing dynamic. Honestly. Yeah. It's a cool, it's sometimes it could get a little hectic because uh, it, we, we definitely have to reel it in a lot because um, we feed off of each other's energies all the time. But when we're locked in, it's really, it's really an amazing experience. Um, and that's why I'm really excited for the summer because we've been working with a bunch of other creative communities and collectives to sort of put together an experience specifically in New York that I think is going to be really powerful um, for the creatives. To Can just, you say any more than that? Or no, yeah, I could definitely. I mean, 
we're working on some like speaker series and stuff like that. Um, like I said, we definitely have the app dropping. We're looking to do a showcase soon in Brooklyn. So get a few acts going together. Now that outside is outside again, right? We can uh, we can start to have like our, our little functions and experiences. And those always bring out the best in everybody, you know, who doesn't like to have a good party, um, especially when you can support your your creative friends. So how do you how do you draw the boundary just since you are in business with your friends? Like, how do you separate business and friendship? You can't. At least in my in my eyes, right? And that's, again, I mean, it goes back to my mindset of I, I went into college and high school thinking like, these are the people that I want to work with. So for me, it's hard. Even when people say they can separate business from personal, I think that that's kind of like bullshit because in order for you to be invested in something, you have to have a personal stake in it, right? Like whether it be for money. So if you're personally invested in the money and the returns that come out of it, or you're invested in the relationships, right? So you can network and establish even better connections and expand your reach. I think all those all those things play a way in defining your character and who you are as a person. Um, and so that's why for me, there is yes, boundaries. So I'm not gonna bring a business meeting to a birthday party or like a, a, a situation where we're going to the movies or something like that, right? Like I definitely know how to compartmentalize and put things in different spaces. Um, and that just comes with communication and stuff like that. but. Um, I definitely, I think my best partners in terms of business have always been people I'm good friends with because again, I know how you operate. So I can tell when you're not feeling like you're in a business mindset. So I'm not going to force you to be like, okay, you got you to gotta lock it in, right? Or I will, I'll try to talk you through some of the things that, so that we can work together. Or if, if I'm going through something, you'll be able to understand and probably help me be on my sharpest mindset. And I think that that's, that's the important thing about having stake in it, right? Is that you're emotionally invested in the other person beyond just getting some money. But again, I know nobody, not a lot of people really think like that because at the end of the day, cash, cash is what everybody wants to get as much of. But it is hard to separate. It is. I mean, just because it's not easy though, it doesn't mean it's, it's impossible, right? Like I think nothing good in life really comes easy. It's supposed to, it's supposed to make you feel like there's worth in it, right? And I know that sounds terrible. Like, oh, well, I shouldn't have to work for something that I really want. I'm like, but then you wouldn't be able to appreciate it if you didn't, you know, do that with your own hands or work through mm. that experience or understand the consequences of doing things the, the fast way and like the bad way, you know? Wow. So. So yeah, I know you're, you're a chronic researcher. Yeah. You're, you know so much about crypto. You're always sharing information. Yeah. On, on social media platforms. What is it about crypto that catches your attention? And now we're kind of shifting a little bit to the future. And yeah. What is it about crypto? Um, well, I'm, I'm, so I, I started doing this little uh, content creator thing on Instagram. You've seen some of my reels where I, I talk about Bitcoin and like cryptocurrency. Um, and I've, I've started making this running gag where it's like BTC, which is like the symbol for the Bitcoin on the exchanges, actually stands for better than cash. Because I, I genuinely do believe that crypto is the answer we needed moving into the 21st century as like a new form of currency and a new normal way of tra transferring value from one individual or one entity to another. Can you ima imagine you're explaining this to like your grandma? Yeah. How would you explain what is, what is crypto? What is Bitcoin? Okay. So, you know, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. So cryptography is involved, which means basically that there are these transactions that take place that are really secure. Um, meaning nobody can really hack it. There have been some breaches, yes, but it's an open source code that allows people to 
put together these public and private keys and transfer uh, currency between one another. And there's only 21 million Bitcoins in the world. So because it's there's such a small amount that will ever exist, it's starting to gain a lot of speculation in terms of value. And speculation really just means that, oh, I think this price is going to go up because there's only 21 million or, oh, I think this price is going to go down because Bitcoin is backed by nothing. So there is no value to Bitcoin. There's no real thing to it. Um, but obviously we're still very much early in the cryptocurrency space and the crypt the blockchain space. Um, and that's what makes Bitcoin so unique because it uses blockchain technology, which means the blocks are the com- the confirmed transactions and miners have to confirm that that block is valid. So as it gets val- validated, it starts to create a chain of confirmed transactions, hence the blockchain. So... Yeah, that, it, it doesn't get any simpler than that, I feel, you know, like right. I, I hand you some Bitcoin, you say, yes, this is how much Bitcoin I needed. We say, cool, we write it off and then we're on to the next transaction, wow. you know? So that's, I think that's really powerful. And we're already doing something like that, you know, with like contactless pay and stuff like that. So cash is already kind of being abstracted into a digital form. Might as well have some code behind it that can allow us to work in ways that we don't necessarily need a bank because banks suck. <laughs> banks suck. But do you think, in my eyes, when I think of crypto, I'm like, okay, decentralization. It's yeah. kind of it kind of makes me think of like a radical new way of existing. Like, yes, I mean it is radical because now a lot of uh, I always say, blockchain companies like crypto companies are community driven versus public companies like you know the stock companies of the world are revenue driven. So what does that mean? Like in order for a company to do well in the past, well, forever really, you had to return a certain amount of money to your shareholders, right? So you had to beat earnings, you had to make sure your revenue and cash was up, your debt was low and your liabilities are basically non-existent. When it comes to, and that obviously in some cases, as we've seen, especially in this late stage of capitalism, has pushed people to not really care so much about the customer, but more about how how much dollars they're getting from that customer or the user or whoever. Um, which forces people to cut corners and do a lot of bad things that actually doesn't do anything good for the environment or for the people. Um, And so cryptocurrency now is being community driven because now everybody has to buy into it. Everybody's a shareholder. Um, And so by buying into that system, if the system fails, everything you've worked for has failed, you know? And so who, nobody really wants that. They want to be able to keep the, the system both growing and, and alive. And the more people that grow, the more people can tap in, the more value gets driven into it. And so the community is the value that is the cryptocurrency or the blockchain technology, which is revolutionary now, right? Because we've been such an, in such an individualistic society with capitalism. Everybody's trying to race to the top of this imaginary, well, this imaginary peak that doesn't exist with wealth and greed. But, you know, I think we've seen that that's not doing us any good. So, so we've got to start finding ways to communicate and build community to develop value. And that's also why I'm trying to get as many like people tapped into crypto as possible to become their own bank, to have financial autonomy, to have the opportunity to choose where their money goes and have that sort of sovereignty to say like, no, this this is where my dollar is going. This is what it's contributing to because this is what I'm, I, I value. What, what is the best entry point for someone who's not already kind of like- Into in- the crypto space? I think um, the entry point, I mean, 
It's tough because they're like the best entry point is really just to even Google Google it, right? Like Google what is Bitcoin, Google what is a cryptocurrency. Google, I don't even care. Honestly, even when people ask me about Doge, I don't Dogecoin. I don't get upset because I'm like, that's more of a W for crypto than it is for cash, right? Because now we're showing that even these coins that people that are established in the crypto community find to be a joke or have no value at all, people are communities are coming in and saying, no, I find value in this and I want to know how I can move my cash into this. And so it's, it's cool to just see, see that happen. And I think just being exposed to the space is it's kind of like radioactive. So once you're in it with a Bitcoin or Ethereum and you're seeing how the markets move, yes, it's going to be scary because there's price action that goes crazy. Like, you know, just a year ago, Bitcoin was probably hovering around $4,000. $4, and now we're, hovering in the, well, it went as high as 60K and now it's back down to like 30K. So the, the price change is going all over the place. So for people that are like faint of heart or, you know, can't afford to invest in what they can't afford to lose, it's, it's a scary experience. But definitely feel like if you have money that you would put towards other expenses that are wants and not necessarily needs, why not just put a little bit of exposure into Bitcoin and these cryptocurrencies and see how that cash goes. And you know, go on like a Coinbase or a Cash App. Like Cash App allows you to buy Bitcoin now, which is pretty cool. It's really easy. I don't know if you have Cash App. Do you, you Cash App, Venmo, yeah. all these, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. All of these like payment systems are now starting to like involve cryptocurrency into their, into their financial rails. So I think that that's really cool to just tap into. Um, but again, the space is so early. It's so ripe. It's very much like the wild, wild west. So it's just, you've got, for me to say like, this is the best way to get in, it probably won't be the same case tomorrow, you know, because news will probably come up where somebody has found a way to like make things a lot easier. And so, or, or someone has hacked something that we thought was secure. Um, so it's very much, very much a developing space. But I think again, that, that risk is so lopsided compared to the reward. Like the reward is definitely going to outweigh it in the long run, just being in the space this early. And it's not just crypto with you. You're also, uh, we had a conversation about augmented reality. You yeah, what, man? That, the augmented reality, virtual reality, experiential reality, like all those things are, people are scared of it, but I'm not. I'm like, yo, we might as well accept it. <laughs> we've already written, it's already been written for us, you know, in the movies and stuff that we've seen, like entertainment, media. These are things that people are trying to buy into. So, it only makes sense that as we are starting to create these digital experiences and these digital profiles and digital personas, that we get to embody it in a digital space ultimately, right? And just have it coincide with us a lot more. So that's definitely been, that hasn't been at the cusp of my research pile, but it's definitely tucked away in the tap, in the, in the bookmarks on my laptop. Man, yeah. what are you more excited for? Augmented reality or virtual reality? I think, oh man, I think virtual reality is- you know, Can I, you describe the difference too for someone who might not know? Yeah, so virtual reality is like the headset and stuff like that where, or where you can like hold the joysticks and you're looking around your environment in a, in a virtual space. So the space is not there, but um, you're, you're able to like interact in like ways where you can pick stuff up and throw stuff or, you know, walk around the space with a joystick. Um, and then the augmented reality is kind of like, say there's um, a sticker that you have. And by me pointing the phone to the sticker, an object will jump out and just start running around the, the thing. And uh, Pokemon Go is a really good example of this. Like, you know, Pokemon Go, that was like the craze a couple of years ago. Everybody was walking around trying to find these Pokemon that were 
in these spots in the city. And so just by pointing your camera to it, a Pokemon would pop up and say, hey, I'm here, like battle me or whatever. Uh, and so that's kind of like the difference is that the augmented reality enhances the space around us with objects that aren't really there, but there are like these markers that are around that allow us to see it versus virtual reality being us actually being immersed into the experience and interacting with these objects um, and the, the world around us in a way. So, wow. Yeah. What is like another theme of the future that, that you find exciting or that you, you spend time thinking about and researching? Honestly, I want us to get deeper into the ocean, man. I have no interest in space if that's- Whoa. Yeah, I've, I've got no interest. Because if we can't- <laughs> Yeah, because if, if we can't figure it out on earth, what makes you think we're going to figure it out on Mars, Whoa. where there's even less water, less oxygen. <laughs> that is crazy. Like we've explored more of the surface of the moon than we have yeah. the bottom of the ocean. Than the bottom of the ocean, right? Like there's there's things we don't even know on our own planet. Um, and, and there are things that we're still struggling with, you know, in terms of food, water, energy, right? Like these are all very important things that you need to survive on a planet. And we can't even supply that to the people that exist here. So you think that just by going to colonize another another planet, the solution will just magically pop up? Like, Are you uh, not terrified of the ocean and it's- I am, but I'm terrified because I don't know what's down there. And so until I start to understand what's going on down there, I will- uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to let that fear stop me from thinking about it. I, I won't swim. I personally won't be doing it, but I just want to be researching it. Say, oh, wait, oh, that's, that's, a cool, cool. that's a cool fact. Exactly. You know, again, uh, I'm just a nerd for that kind of stuff. You know, I've always been interested in, in just learning things. So, wow. Yeah. Is there anything else that people need to know about Dante in order to understand who you are and, and what you're about? And what I'm about, man... I'm a Knicks fan. <laughs> I'm, a Knicks fan. <laughs> I'm a huge New York Knicks fan. Um, that's that's about it, really. I mean, yeah, you, I'm a crypto fanatic. I think everybody should tap into the space. Um, if you want to learn more about it, follow me on Instagram. You know, black underscore Clark underscore Ken, <laughs> and and I do like a bunch of crypto um, like meetings and stuff like that, especially on Clubhouse. That was really cool. I got I've been building a really strong following on Clubhouse just around. Um, Black crypto talks and just talking to people about cryptocurrency, not only as investors, but also as miners and builders and developers in the space, because I think that that integration is really important. It's one thing to invest in the coin, but it's another thing to build a coin, right? Which would be really cool. So, whoa. Yeah. And you just help someone, you help someone create their own NFT. Yeah. So, yeah, I helped fellow creators on NFT, which and is fellow is really, one of our friends from, from DePaul. Yeah, yeah, from, from DePaul. College. Um, yeah. And he's also a Brooklyn native, uh, rapper, musician. Find one on Instagram at Talavelli. Really cool dude. Um, dropped his first Damu Records NFT to one of one. So it, I've already started, the bids have already started. So you got it, you got to get in it uh, while, while it's still there. Um, but definitely more is on the way. And so, yeah. Damn. Well, was there anything else that, anything else you wanted to add to the podcast before? Anything else? I mean, nah, I just, I think everybody should put a creative on today. You know, if you've, especially if you've seen the podcast. <clears throat> and you care about anything that we've talked about. I think just tapping in with underscore and just tapping in with creative communities is a really powerful experience um, and will also change the way that even we consider professionalism and business. So, yeah. Damn. Dante, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. It was a pleasure, for real. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Goddamn pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it's always, it's always a good time talking with you, man. Yeah.